pod pals and welcome to Best Girl Grip. I'm your host Nicole Davis and this is the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I'm here today with a bonus minisode with two-time Academy Award nominated filmmaker Liz Garbus to celebrate the release of her latest documentary Becoming Cousteau. If you listened to last Tuesday's interview with Anna Goda, CEO of Dogworth, you'll have heard me mention the film. Well, it's out in UK cinemas today, and all puns intended, I think you'll have a whale of a time. For over four decades, Jacques-Yves Cousteau and his explorations under the ocean became synonymous with a love of science and the natural world. As he learned to protect the environment, he brought the whole world with him, sounding alarms more than 50 years ago about the warming seas and our planet's vulnerability. In Becoming Cousteau from National Geographic Documentary Films, Liz takes an inside look at Cousteau and his life, his iconic films and inventions, and the experiences that made him the 20th century's most unique and renowned environmental voice. It's a documentary that reinstates or reframes Cousteau as a revolutionary, as well as a father and filmmaker, and, I'm quoting the New York Times here, succeeds in restoring some of Cousteau's luster and also his relevance. It's a swift-moving, detailed biography recounting a life that was long, eventful, and stippled with tragedy and regret. It's awe-inspiring, heartbreaking, energetic and emotional filmmaking, and at 93 minutes long, should definitely be high up on your watch list this weekend. Liz Garbus is one of America's most celebrated documentary filmmakers. She has received three Emmy Awards, two Peabody Awards, two Academy Award nominations, and a Grammy Award nomination for her body of work, which includes The Farm, Angola, USA, What Happened, Miss Simone, Bobby Fischer Against the World, Nothing Left Unsaid, There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane, and The Fourth Estate, among many others. In 2020, she turned her hand to narrative filmmaking and directed Lost Girls, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and is currently available to watch on Netflix. We talk about why she was compelled to make this film about Cousteau, how she imbued the documentary with his own adventurous spirit, how she crafted his story through over 550 hours of archive material, and the different muscles you have to flex when working on fiction as opposed to non-fiction. It's a brief but buoyant conversation, and I was thrilled to have the chance to speak with Liz about her wonderful film. Here's that interview. I'd love to start off with uh, having you describe your path to becoming a filmmaker. How did you arrive at this moment? That's just a little question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I was a teenager and I went to high school, it was sort of the first time that home video cameras were readily available. Um, You know, there, of course, there were video cameras forever, but just consumer models becoming affordable and accessible to kids like me. And I started filming in my school my last week of senior year of my last year of high school. And I ended up cutting together a little video that I showed to a bunch of family and friends. And um, one of my friend's fathers was a documentarian. And he said, oh, Lizzie, you've made a documentary. And I hadn't, of course, thought about that term. I think we are much less media savvy than kids are today. And then it just stuck in my head. And then when I went to college, I continued to tool around with filmmaking. um, And ultimately, made my first film, which was The Farm, which was a film at Angola, Louisiana State Penitentiary. But, you know, leading to today, there have been a lot of films in between. <laughs> but the the origin story is really um, in that in that moment as a, as a kid, just messing around and all of a sudden realizing that I was doing something that I loved. And given the breadth of the topics that you've covered, I'm wondering what appealed to you about making this latest film, Becoming Cousteau? Yeah, it was really, you know, 
cut to 30 years later and I have a, or, you know, 25 years later, I have some kids and um, it was, I was reading a book to my son and uh, Cousteau was covered in this book. And I realized that this kind of icon for my childhood had been basically forgotten. And I wanted to show him videos. I wanted to show him what, what had introduced me to the sea, because of course he has, my son watched every, you know, Blue Planet, Shark Week, you know, he, he'd seen everything. And I was like, well, here's how we saw it. And I began to look and I um, couldn't find anything online. And that just made me curious. So I started researching and came across you know, information about Cousteau's life that I never knew about. I really didn't know about his environmentalism. Of course, I didn't know about his early early journeys. I didn't know he had essentially invented scuba and underwater cinematography. I mean, I thought of him as a on-camera TV personality adventurer. And then given the state of our climate crisis, it felt like this was a great time to explore this story. And that's how it all started. And with someone like Jacques, as well as other subjects, you know, like Nina Simone, Marilyn Monroe, Bobby Fischer, where a lot of archive material about their lives already exists, I think, in the press release, it's something like over 550 hours. How do you go about sifting through that and finding the story that you want to tell? Yeah, I mean, in Cousteau, as you said, 500 hours of archive came after three years of negotiating with the Cousteau Society. You know, it was it was not readily available or out there at all. And in a case of somebody like Bobby Fischer, in fact, there was um, there was so little actually after his the chess championship that it was like we were scrounging all over the world on a scavenger hunt. So each of those films, each of these films, they're they're all very different. But for Cousteau, having you know finally gotten access to the archive and going through all all of it. It was about, you know, trying to not just looking at the imagery, which is of course is key, but but just listening to the inter the audio interviews, reading the autobiographies, reading the letters and journals that we had access to, and understanding that we could tell his life story in his own words, really. Um, if his words were in a book, I could employ the wonderful talent of uh Vincent Cassell to 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 read it, or if it was in his own voice, I could construct a narrative journey through his own words. In the film, he he rails against the label documentary and, and preferred yeah. the term adventure films. And I'm wondering whether that's something you were contemplating through the making of this film and whether you tried to imbue your own documentary with that spirit of adventure. Well, I definitely think that the spirit of adventure needed to reign supreme in this particular doc. You know, that, that you know, my job as a filmmaker was to remind kids like my son, you know, how new and awe-inducing this kind of, these images were that nobody had ever seen anything like it. So, so yes, I wanted to imbue it with that spirit. But I also think that given today's um, media environment, Cousteau perhaps wouldn't have had such a negative reaction to the word documentary <laughs> as they've become, you know, more perceived as like the wonderful storytelling vehicles that we all know and love as opposed to, you know, science class lectures. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> and access is often rightly attributed as being kind of like the key component to making a good documentary. But I'm wondering if there are any other guiding principles that you come back to you and that you feel like are the foundation for your filmmaking. Yeah, access is, like you say, is key. A great story. You know, I mean, I think that um, it sounds obvious, but, you know, sometimes people will say to me, have you thought about doing a documentary on XYZ, on XYZ person? And they may have done something extraordinary, but I'm really interested in stories of transformation and change rather than just, oh, wow, they did great things and let's talk about it. Because there are so many folks who have, you know, incredible musicians, incredible artists, but like, what is this human story that has an arc, that has tension, and then also that has some relevance to our 
current conversation. Those are the things that I that I look for. What was the most challenging part of making this particular documentary? I would say, you know, wading through the the wonderful sea <laughs> of archive we had. Um, and then, but also just, you know, the three years it took to get access, you know, that I've never had a process that was that exhaustive and with twists and turns. But luckily with Nat Geo um, supporting it, we were able to to stay on it. And what's your own process like? Are you kind of gathering first and then starting to kind of assemble and edit? Or is it a kind of a constantly iterative process where you're doing it bit by bit? Well, the first three years are spent just trying to get access. And, you know, I, I first reached out to the Cousteau Society in 2016, and it wasn't until 2019 that we were welcomed into the actual physical archive itself. Um, and by that time, I had a pretty, you know, good sense from all the reading I had done of a story that had appealed to me, which was this kind of his transformation from adventurer to environmentalist. And of course, a man who was looking at his flaws, but also able to pivot and confront them. So, you know, at that point we were, you know, it was then about like diving into the archive to see um, how we could tell the story that we we understood. And yes, it is constantly iterative. We are always going back and saying, oh, can we have a little more of this? Or do you have anything where he's talking about X? So it's, it's always uh, a work in progress in that sense. And coming back to thinking about access and the fact that I think it was two to three years that it took you to gain access to the archive. What are those conversations with the Cousteau's or, you know, whoever it is, are the gatekeepers to these files? What do those conversations look like? You know, how are you convincing them that this is something that is kind of worth their time? I mean, in some ways, it should be very obvious why it's worth their time, right? Like he's not well known to a new generation and he had an extraordinary life and isn't it in everybody's interest to revive that, but it doesn't usually work that way. <laughs> so, I mean, oftentimes, um, in it, especially in it, you know, with famous people, and as you mentioned, I've done some of their stories before, there is a lot of, after they die, there is a lot of fighting about who controls the legacy. So I think that that you know, it was about me quite honestly convincing them that I wasn't interested in what happened after he died. I was interested in what happened while he was alive. And I wasn't interested in taking sides on a family squabble. I know it's very painful and important to family members, but at the end of the day, the larger story is a global one. And um, just kind of continuing to to work that message. And this is like something that I think filmmakers get asked a lot in like pitch meetings and it's it's why now, you know, why this film now? And so I am wondering, I guess, on a cultural level and a societal level, it's to do with the climate crisis. But on a personal level, I'm wondering why this film spoke to you now and whether it's a film that you felt like you could have made a decade or 20 years ago or you really felt like you could only come to it with the experience that you've had. I mean, I think that being a parent made me want to make this film. You know, Cousteau said, we are throwing blank checks on future generations. And he said that 30 years ago. That was my generation. And now we've been throwing blank checks on, I don't know how old you are, maybe your generation, my children's generation. You know, and I was, I'm certainly extra acutely aware and deeply worried <laughs> about that. And, I, and I, it shouldn't take someone being a parent to to feel that way. But, you know, it was definitely in those conversations with my son and then understanding Cousteau's journey, that journey um, as an environmentalist that made me want to do this personally. And then switching gears slightly, I'd love to ask about the fact that you directed a narrative feature, uh, Lost Girls, in around 2020, I think that came out, and then an episode of Handmaid's Tale. I'm wondering if you could speak to the kind of the different muscles that you're having to exercise when you're directing fiction as opposed to nonfiction. 
Yeah, I think that in directing fiction, um, you know, the scripting process um, is very similar to our editing process in documentary, right, where you're really shaping what your story is. But of course, when you're editing a fiction film, you're still shaping it. And, you know, um, you're still trying to refine that arc and find the right shots, even though you've scripted them to to express that the emotional journey you're going on. Production is is very different, of course, like the the the, the toys that you have at your disposal, the sandbox you can play in to create images and of course directing actors which is something I really love you know is a, is a different muscle so it's I think those that visual toolbox that you have um as well as of course working with actors to to go on that emotional journey with you is, are the, the the really different skills and do you find that it sharpens each to flip between the two I do think so. I do think that, you know, directing scripted makes me always want to kind of come back to documentary and think like, how can I do some, how can I get out of my comfort zone and not just not do the same thing I did before, you know, and I like to sort of feel a little bit um, out of my comfort zone and be, and I think Cousteau did too, <laughs> you know, like he, he wanted to always go deeper and further and stay longer and pivot. And I, I certainly look, look to that as well. Well, there, it was incredible to me how many similarities there were with the kind of the world, the, the terminology and the language of filmmaking uh, as there was with deep sea diving. Yeah, I know, right? You can't help make all those, do all the little puns. <laughs> <laughs> and do you share Jacques Cousteau's misery if you're not filmmaking? You know, where else do you find joy? I think you can see with my uh, from my bio that, you know, he said, I'm miserable if I'm not making a film. It's like a sickness. I think you can see from my bio that I, I rarely take breaks. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I do find joy. I find so much joy in, in my family and in my friends. And hopefully I've had a better work life balance. <laughs> <laughs> than Cousteau did being on the Calypso and, you know, sending his kids to boarding school. But but yes, I'm, I'm quite addicted to filmmaking. <laughs> and then thinking more generally, again, I'd love to know if there's something that you consider to be the biggest learning curve of your career or to frame it differently, something that you wish that you'd learn earlier. This is always what I'm learning is to listen, trust one's instincts. And it sounds um, abstract or or pat, but it's so important. And you know, being on what, especially when you're out of your comfort zone, like um, when I was, you know, like you said, working on narrative scripted material and you can kind of get into your head and second guess yourself and, you know, but, to, but there is a, there is an instinct in there that's telling you what to do and to just make sure you don't stifle it, make sure you don't um, second guess yourself or think, well, maybe I don't have the experience to suggest that idea. You know, it's like, you're, there's a reason that I'm in the director's chair and um, to just make sure that I'm, I'm listening to those instincts. That's an ongoing journey. Is there an example in the making of this film where, yeah, you had to really listen to your gut? Oh, there's always examples in film. I mean, you get feedback from people saying, oh, you know, I don't think we should have this line or that, you know, and, and you're just, you're constantly having to reject things and just make sure your North Star is intact and, um, and continue to follow it. And finally, I'd love to know, is the question I ask all my podcast guests, I'd love to know if there's a film by a woman director that you return to repeatedly or would like to recommend today. Well, I, I can't say return to this repeatedly, but the latest film by Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog, that I saw at the film festivals this year that will be you know, coming to everyone soon was just one of the most inspiring films I've seen. The visual language, the performances, the storytelling. I mean, it's just, I mean, I've always been a Jane Campion fan and this is just like catnip. It's, it's, it's incredible. 
Mm, it's interesting because that kind of chimes with your your theory about trusting your gut because to me it was a film that it wasn't the film I was expecting to see but I very much got the sense that it was exactly the film that she wanted to make yeah and I actually heard her talking about exactly that thing you know that particular lesson too I think we're all always learning it and I wonder if women have to tell themselves more because we are often told you know I think I think men are encouraged in that sense quite early but um Indeed, it was a film. It was a very intuitive, magical, unconventional film. Absolutely. Um, Liz, thank you for your films. Thank you for this film. And thank you for your time today. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this bonus minisode of Best Girl Grip. If documentary filmmaking is a jam, I also recommend listening to my interview with Brett Story. I'll be back to normal programming on Tuesday with a brand new guest. And don't forget, Becoming Cousteau is in cinemas right now, and you can find which venues near you are showing the film at becomingcousteau.co.uk. Mm-hmm.